Alrighty, well, we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Chris Dembski. I know many of you, but not quite all of you. Um, and I'll be uh, covering class today, obviously. And I don't know how many of you um, went to college, but, or if your experience in college was like mine or not, but when I was in school, you had you know, X number of classes that you had to take in order to meet your graduation requirements, and there's a list, and you know, you're, you're checking them off. And, and I went to uh, Grove City College, which some of you are familiar with, maybe some of you aren't, but <clears throat> um, when I was there, you, know, you have these uh, X number of, of general electives you have to take. It's a liberal arts school, and there's this one class in particular that uh, everyone had to take, no matter what you studied, and it was like, a, like an art appreciation class, okay? And I, growing up, um, didn't appreciate art, you know? That, that really wasn't a thing with me. I, uh, I can look at a sheet of music, and it literally looks like Greek or Russian to me. I have no idea what's going on there. I can look at a painting and say, oh, that's lovely, and I can't do that. And that's about the extent of my ability to, you know, interpret it and, and look at it and stuff. So not my area of expertise, right? Well, there's this art appreciation class, um, that I have to take at Grove City, and I'm dreading it because I just know this isn't in my wheelhouse, right? Uh, there's also a general biology class I have to take that's also not in my wheelhouse. And there's history classes I have to take which are in my wheelhouse because that's what I studied and that's my thing. So naturally, <clears throat> I put these two classes, a biology class and this art appreciation class off to the last semester, right, when it's gotta be done. And <clears throat> there are several professors who teach this class, okay? And I don't know, again, how your experience was, but um, you know, you, you talk to your friends, you know, who's good at this, you know, who's the good teacher, who's the easy teacher, who's the, uh, you know, really hard but really good, like it's worth it teacher, there's these different options, okay? And <clears throat> for this particular class, I had it down to Professor A and Professor B that I want to take this class with, okay? And Professor, um, let's say Professor A, is known for being, like, amazing. Like, this art appreciation class will change your life. Everyone who took the class told me this. Like, it's great, okay? But it's really hard. Like, really hard, okay? It's gonna, you're gonna have to really put in a bunch of work. It's gonna really challenge you, but it's gonna be totally worth it, okay? Um, like, in the final, you know, this person, this professor puts up, like, a little snippet of a painting, and you have to, like, know where it's from, and the date, and the artist, and all this other stuff, okay? And then there's this other professor, Professor B, who's, who's solid, okay? Really good professor. You'll like the class much easier, okay? So both are great options. One's particularly glorious and wonderful, and the other one's just like, you know, solid, okay? But much easier, okay? So <clears throat> what do I do, all right? Well, I go ahead and decide I'm going to take Professor B. I'm going to the easier choice. It's going to be good. I'll still appreciate art, but... It's not going to stress me out. It's not going to hold me back from graduating, that kind of thing, okay? So I didn't do the hard thing and go with the really great professor, all right? Now, I went on. That was the last final I ever took, and I graduated, and everything was great. Um, <clears throat> so imagine my surprise when about nine years later, there I am, uh, shopping for a, a, online shopping for a milk pail, and I get an email from that very same professor who I didn't take, Professor A, saying... Hey, Chris, I need you to cover Sunday school for me, okay? <laughs> the one and only Dr. Paul Munson, okay? <laughs> Who I was too scared to take his class because of the uh, horror stories I heard of how hard it was, but the wonderfulness of how, what a great teacher he was, and you all have experienced that some today, so the irony is not lost on me that 
now I am asked to fill those massive shoes, which I was too scared to take even as a student. So <laughs> there you go. So with that long introduction, um, <clears throat> I am not worthy to be up here, but we'll see what we can do with Jeremiah here. And he did give me an out. He said, hey, uh, if you're up for doing it, that'd be great. You can teach on whatever you want. This is what I would teach on in Jeremiah if I was doing it. And so I was like, all right, we'll, we'll jump in and give it a shot. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, let's go ahead and pray and uh, <clears throat> ask the Lord to bless our time here. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful Lord's Day. God, it is the day that you have made, and we are here to worship you, and we ask that you would bless your people. We know that you are the God of history, and you have always had a people that you have loved in wonderful times and in terrible times and everywhere in between. We thank you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and that you rule over everything. And we ask that you would bless us. Lord, bless me as I um, attempt to teach what you have for us here this morning. We thank you for your prophets of old that you raised up. And we ask that even now you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to be zoning in on Jeremiah chapter 22 and chapter 23. Um, If you have your handout, which you probably don't anymore, that's okay. The title for today's class is The Covenant-Breaking Leaders, Kings, Priests, and Prophets. Okay, The Covenant-Breaking Leaders. And we'll see if we get to the prophets and the priests and their covenant-breaking. That's kind of at the back part of chapter 23. We'll see if we get there or not. I'm not sure, but we're definitely going to zone in on covenant-breaking kings, okay? So, <clears throat> if you would, go with me to chapter 22 of Jeremiah, okay, chapter 22, and um, <clears throat> I'm going to take these in, in little chunks here, so I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 22 of Jeremiah, verses 1 to 10, okay? And what you want to see here is general instructions for the kings of God's people, okay, for the kings of Judah. This is how God says, hey, generally speaking, this is how the kings are to behave. So, chapter 22, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah, and speak there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, okay, so... um, Those words, remember, thus says the Lord. When a prophet comes and says that, hey, you better listen. Okay, so thus says the Lord to the kings. What are your instructions? Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then... There shall enter the gates of this house kings who will sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of Judah, you were like Gilead to me, like the summon of Lebanon. Yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabited city. I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons, and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. 
Uh, let, me do two, let me do two more verses here. <clears throat> and many nations will pass by this city, and every man will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord de- dealt thus with this great city? And they will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God, and worshipped other gods and served them. Okay, so <clears throat> you see in there this or this. Okay? Covenant blessings if you obey. Curses if you disobey. It's very clear cut for the kings of Judah. Act this and you can expect the Lord to bless you. Act this and you can expect the Lord not to bless you. And I think the language is striking there, particularly for um, if you don't obey. Okay, so so there's this hinge in verse 5. But if you do not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. There's nothing higher that he can swear by than than himself. So God is making a promise that this house, the house of Judah, shall become a desolation if they disobey. Okay, I mean, verse 7 says, I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons. Okay, and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. Um, So, this idea of the Lord very actively punishing his people if their leaders are disobedient and if they fall into idolatry. Okay, but again, this is general. This, this could be given to any of the kings of Judah from any of the time period, okay? It's not, it's not specific to, um, you know, certain kings or what have you. <clears throat> so what's going to happen next, um, from verse 11, uh, really, really through the rest of us here, we're going to get specific, okay? We're going to get specific to Jeremiah and to the kings that he is prophesying under. And remember, you know from Dr. Munson's teaching that this is not chronological. And in fact, in like the chapter and a half we're going to cover, you've got at least three different kings. So many decades going on here in just this short time period. But the theme is there. Um, So, just real quickly, what... um, Got my mic here. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? Now, those of you who don't know, yes, thank you. Okay, an agreement between, would you say, two or more persons? Okay, good. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a school teacher, okay? However, I teach 13-year-olds, okay? So I'm used to waiting so I can wait for your hands, all right? However, usually when there's that, that long time of pause and then eventually a hand pops up, in my context, it's, yes, yes, go ahead. May I use the restroom? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Is it an agreement that has a little bit more of a promise? Okay. Like you can agree, but that seems kind of maybe passive. A little, or, okay. And a promise seems more Yeah, so promise is in definite. there. And I'm sorry, remind me again what you said, John. An agreement between two or more persons. Okay, so an agreement between two or more persons. You're saying the word promise is in there too, so it's a little bit more than than just, you know, kind of quick handshake deal type thing. Yeah, yeah. Think of it as a contract. And contract? with the contract, uh, this one has a penalty of death. Mm-hmm. So when you make a covenant, it is literally, regardless of marriage or otherwise, it's till death do you part. Mm-hmm. And if you negate your end of the contract, uh, you agree to that penalty of death. 
Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's often sealed in blood. Okay, if you're familiar with the um, <clears throat> story of Abraham, when God makes a covenant with him, he has him cut these animals in half and lay them out kind of in a line like this. And God goes through the pieces. And, and what he's saying is, <clears throat> may this happen to me if I don't hold up my end of the bargain here. Okay, so um, like Jen was saying, it's, it's, um, it, there's, there's promises involved here. Okay, so God has made several covenants. He makes a covenant with the house uh, or, or with his people. Okay, and the other thing we want to know is what do covenants tend to bring with them? Okay, so what do covenants bring with them for if you, if you keep them or if you don't keep them? I, I'm thinking of two, two words here. What was it? Blessings and curses, okay, very good. So you saw that here in this first section. <clears throat> if you do this, if you uphold the, the, your end of the bargain, okay, you're, you're part of the promise, blessings will come to you. And if you don't, curses. So we've got that teed up. <clears throat> um, okay, let's jump in here now. Um, the context is, um, as we jump down to verse 11, okay, um, we're going to look at a message that Josiah, or not Josiah, that Jeremiah has to Josiah's sons, okay, now, I was here several weeks ago when Dr. Munson was saying, hey, when we go through the book of Jeremiah, it's really helpful if you have a couple markers for who the kings are, right? And he, and he worked, I can just picture him working so hard on his uh, mnemonic device that he came up with, all right? Now, who, who remembers the mnemonic device or the memory device for knowing these kings? Has Kim Okay, very good. Has Kim Chin, all right? And I was like listening here, I was probably dealing with some kid with a dispute over pretzels or something in the back row. And I heard him, like, explain this, you know, Kim Jong-un or whatever in political cartoon and has Kim a chim. And I was like, in, I'm half listening because, again, I'm probably dealing with some situation with a child. And I was like, you know, Dr. Munson, you're kind of dragging it a little bit there. Like, you're, you're, you're trying too hard with that. I, I don't get it. Okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not following here. Joke's on me. Because has Kim a chin has been such a helpful device for me the past two weeks or so, once I finally got it. Okay? So you have uh, Josiah. Okay? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Josiah good, Josiah bad. Okay? Josiah's a good king. Okay? If you read about him, it says he does, you know, uh, what was right in the eyes of the Lord, you know, generally speaking. Um, so <clears throat> Josiah is a good king. All right? He ends up dying in battle from an Egyptian arrow. Okay, he does battle with the Egyptians, and he takes an arrow, and he dies. All right, and so Josiah, he's first. That's a J. And then we have the Haz Kimachin. So who's our, who's our next king? Jehoahaz. Okay, very good. So Haz is the first one. Jehoahaz. Now, Jehoahaz is actually the younger son of Josiah. Okay, and he was picked by the people of Israel. Okay, I'm not sure if they had a straw vote there or what they did, but he's selected by the people of Israel to lead them. Okay, and he serves for just three months. Because what happens is, is there's this war with Egypt, and um, Jehoahaz uh, is uh, taken over by the Egyptians and, and the Pharaoh. Well, I'll get into that in a little bit. So we got Jehoahaz, and then we're going to have, who would be next after Jehoahaz? Has Kim a chin? Jehoahaz, Jehoahakim, there you go. All right, so this next thing we're going to look at is particularly pointed at uh, Jehoahaz and Jehoahakim, and we'll get into the specifics of them in a minute. So do me a favor, particularly if you're next to someone, okay, you got Jeremiah 22 there. 
Flip over to me, maybe, maybe one of you stay at Jeremiah, and one of you flip over to Psalm 9. Okay, Psalm chapter 9. <clears throat> and we're going to do a little extended exercise here. Okay, and as you're doing that, um, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 were actually originally together. And then we're separated when they did the chapter divisions. But what Psalm 9 is, it, it, <clears throat> there are several things going on there, and, and not every verse will be pertinent for us here today. But really what it is, is it's a hymn of praise, right? A, a hymn of praise or a psalm of praise to the righteous king, okay? The divine heavenly king. And so what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 9 together, and I want you to look for what's a good, righteous, heavenly king look like? Okay? And then we're going to read pretty much back to back, back in Jeremiah 22, about Josiah's sons. And I basically want to compare and contrast. Okay? And I want you to look for, hey, here's the template, here's the standard for a good, righteous king. And here are Josiah's sons, both of whom get a chance to be king. And I want, to, I want you to look, uh, compare and contrast. You got it? All right. <clears throat> so let's go to Psalm 9. Um, it's, not, it's not long, but it's not short. <clears throat> okay. Verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. <clears throat> I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations and made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his kingdom for justice. He judges the world with righteousness and judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Okay, so a little bit of an extended reading there, not not too bad. Um, So again, that is some templates for a righteous king. Now, one of you, if, if you're with someone you know, you can stay there and then glance over to someone else's Bible or do it yourself, whatever, 
as we go to um, back to Jeremiah 22, okay? And I'm going to read from verse 11 to verse 23. <clears throat> All right, 11 to 23. And you're thinking here, I'm comparing this to what I know about the righteous king in Psalm 9. <clears throat> and this is, this is more history mixed with poetry um, as to actual ways in which the sons of Josiah acted. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, which is Jehoahaz, we'll get to that in a minute, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father, who went away from this place. He shall return here no more, but in the place where they have carried him captive, there he shall die, and he shall never see this land again. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbors serve him for nothing. And does not give him his wages. Who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms. Who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think that you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Okay? That was a bit about uh, Shalom, which is Jehoahaz. Okay? And then in verse 18, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, so Josiah's other son who's going to take over, They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, or ah, sister, they shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or Ah, His Majesty. With the, burial, with the burial of a donkey he shall be buried, dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry out. Lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry out from Aram, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth, that you, shall, <clears throat> that you have not obeyed my voice. The wind shall shepherd all your shepherds, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Then you will be ashamed and confounded because of all your evil. O inhabitants of Lebanon, nested among the cedars, how you will be pitied when the pangs, uh, when pangs come upon you, pain as a woman in labor. Okay, now, <clears throat> I've broken some cardinal rules here in that we read two long sections, all right, and hopefully you didn't get lost, but I am trusting in your comprehension. Okay, so um, not every, everything would, would fit in there, but look at Psalm 9 for me and compare it to some of the actions you saw with Josiah's two sons and tell me if, or what, what you see. So how do they line up? If you view it as a rubric, if Psalm 9 is the rubric and Jeremiah 22 is the action, how do Josiah's sons do? Lydia, what do you think? Yeah, 
Right. Very good. So Josiah is said, um, how does he phrase that? Um, Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? <clears throat> then it was well with him. And like you said, it's implied there that, mm, yeah, but you're not doing that. Okay. So very good. So how we treat the, how the king treats the needy. All right. Now Julia broke the ice. Okay. So what else do you see in there? You can look. Okay. <clears throat> now in, my, in my classroom, okay, when this happens, I've got all my students on my computer, and I've got their, uh, their uh, mugshot, basically, okay, you know, their, their school picture, okay, and I have this little button that I can click that says uh, student randomizer, okay, and I can click that, and I put it up on the board so everybody sees their, uh, in my case, it's usually the seventh grade, or the, the eighth grade pictures haven't been updated yet, so it's the kid's seventh grade picture, all right, you know, from like class pictures, <laughs> And so the whole class just gets to see their picture from seventh grade, and that's the kid who got selected. So that could be you. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so uh, basically, that's my warning. Don't make me pick you. Okay. So what do you see in there? We got one from Julia. What else? Yes. Yeah. Okay, very good. So are, is the king seeking after the Lord or not? All right, so very good. So that there's two. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Didn't treat the poor well. Okay, so, he's a, so in Psalm 9, okay, so let's look at some of the positives. What's the king called to do in Psalm 9? Okay, so verse 7 says, The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. Okay. Um, he judges the people with uprightness. So we're seeing that that did not happen with Josiah's sons, like we just had some good examples of. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so we've got that. So it's not setting up well for um, these two sons of Josiah. And again, what does that mean? Okay, what does that mean if God said to act this way? Okay, and we just saw that jo- Josiah's sons, these two kings, don't act this way. Okay, so from the beginning, where we looked at the covenant and promises and things like that, what's the prediction for what's going to happen to Josiah's sons? And, and by extension, they're the leaders, so by extension, his people. Yes, Jen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woe to you. Yes, it's not going to go very well for you. All right. Um, so, if a covenant comes with attendant blessing and attendant curses, all right, we're going to see more of the curse side of things here for um, not only specifically Josiah's sons, but Judah. Because 
because it's not just the kings who are bad, it, it's the people too, but they're the, they're the, the leaders of it. Um, <clears throat> okay, so let me dive into just a little bit of, of history here of what's going on, kind of hopefully go over some of these names, and then we'll press on into the next chapter. All right, so <clears throat> in verse, verse 11, 22 verse 11, it said, thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, okay, um, this is a little bit like the Lord of the Rings where everybody's got like four names, okay? So Shalom, uh, the son of Josiah, that is Jehoahaz, which again is Josiah's younger son, and he's going to serve for three months. And I won't go there right now, um, but you can see a lot of this in 2 Kings chapter 23 into chapter 24, okay? So if you want to check it out at home, 2 Kings 23 into 24 is where you're seeing a lot of just short little blurbs about what's going on here historically. But, like I said, we've got Judah and Egypt, okay, Um, specifically under Josiah. And, see, if you think about a map, all right, you got Egypt at this time as like a major world power, and then you also have Assyria and Babylon, who at different times are major world powers, and sometimes they fight each other. And to fight each other, they have to be there. Okay? Either Egypt has to go to Assyria or Babylon, or Babylon or Assyria has to go to Egypt. And, and, and you know, what, what does that mean, if you know a globe? Okay, what was that, Karina? Yes, Israel's right in the middle. Okay, so Israel, little tiny Israel and, and Judah, okay, depending on the different time you know, when they're talking, they always find themselves in the middle of these... Um, big conflicts with these empires who are generally kind of uh, bigger than them, at least in size and oftentimes in power, but they are the crossroads, so they're always getting involved in these geopolitical struggles um, of the time. So, under Josiah, like I said, he was fighting Egypt, he dies, Josiah dies from uh, an arrow uh, in in a battle with Egypt. So then you have this pharaoh of Egypt named Pharaoh it's Necho or Nico? I forget which. Pharaoh Nico, I think. And what happens is, is he goes on to defeat, um, shortly after Josiah dies, his son Jehoahaz takes over as king because the people selected him. But then Egypt <clears throat> defeats Judah. Okay, And what happens is, this is pretty common at the time, um, the... The, the conquering king is going to basically set up a puppet. Okay, set up a puppet king who... So the people still have their own king. So, so Pharaoh's not going to take his son and put his son in charge of Judah. Okay, because I guess that would be weird. All right? Um, <clears throat> but rather, Pharaoh is going to take someone from Judah and put that person up as king. But that person knows, he's got an agreement like, hey man, you're going to do what I say. Okay, so you're just a puppet. So really, Egypt is kind of in control here. And you can see this. What Pharaoh does is he then picks um, Jehoiakim. <clears throat> so after this, and it's, it's short, it's just three months later. He picks Jehoiakim, who is Josiah's older son, but not picked by the people. He's picked by, um, he's picked by this Egyptian pharaoh, Pharaoh, pharaoh Nico. Um, and that shows, and what he does is, um, oh, I should have it pulled up here, but I don't. It's, he renames him, 
Okay? So if you have that handy flowchart handy from, uh, from Dr. Munson, you've got um, his, his name is Eliakim. Okay? Eliakim is actually this guy's name, and, and it's Pharaoh who renames him Jehoiakim. Okay, so the second king, he's going to rule for 11 years. He's a tyrant. He's very bad. Um, his given name was Eliakim, but it's the Pharaoh who renames him. Okay, and if you're renaming someone, that's a flex. Okay, you're, 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 I have power over you. I am renaming you Jehoiakim. Okay, so anyways, <clears throat> that's that context a little bit. Um, let's see here. Find my spot. Now, Jehoiakim is going to reign for 11 rough years. Okay, he's not a good king, and I won't go into the details, but he's going to rule for 11 years, and then eventually his son is going to take over. All right? <clears throat> and let's go see what happens to him. So bump down to Jeremiah 22, verse 24. All right, so let's look at that. As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah... The son of Jehoiakim, Coniah, that's not in Dr. Munson's thing, okay? Has Kim a chim? There's no Coniah in there, all right? So, Coniah is actually Jehoiachin, okay? So, we're on our third one now, okay? So, now we're talking about um, this, this third king so far, Coniah or Jehoiachin, and that is Jehoiakim's the tyrant who ruled for 11 years, who was set up by the Pharaoh. This is his son, okay? So he's going to die, his son takes over, and this is who Jeremiah is now talking about. Verse 24, as, says, or as I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, were the signet ring of my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hands of those who seek your life, into the hands of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. <clears throat> Listen to this. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country. Jeez. Um, <clears throat> where you were not born, and there you shall die. But in the land to which they will long to return, there they shall not return. Is the, and then Jeremiah goes into poetry here in 28. Is this man, Kanoia, a despised, broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land where they do not know? Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Okay? So... <clears throat> What we're seeing here is a little bit of fulfillment, all right? And, and again, we, we skipped over uh, Jehoiakim's reign and even Jehoiachin's reign in, in the specifics, but it wasn't good, okay? <clears throat> and geopolitically, what's happened is here comes Babylon, all right? Now, Babylon is to the east of Judah, and they come over. You've got Nebuchadnezzar. And they are now kind of this, this big power, and they start applying pressure onto Judah. And what's going to happen is God uses Babylon to punish Judah because of their wickedness. Okay, Because of how the evil kings have ruled, because of how the people have rebelled and worshipped other 
idols. Um, actually, it's really interesting just how the Lord is Lord of history and how this all intertwines is amazing. If you look in 2 Kings, it says that not only does this, this exile into Babylon happen because of these wicked kings that we've been talking about today, but it even goes back and says that it happened in addition because of the sins of the evil king Manasseh, who was like a couple, couple leaders back. Okay, so the Lord does not forget. And, and it says because Manasseh, <clears throat> he had brought back into Israel, and, or back into Judah, the wicked practices and the wicked worship of the Canaanites. Okay, so isn't it amazing how the Lord is Lord of history? This is, we're talking hundreds of years when this is going on. Remember when God brings his people out of Egypt. He brings them into the, the land of the Canaanites. And he has them, you know, just go off on the Canaanites in, you know, pretty violent ways. And I'm sure you've all been shook by that at different times when you read it. You're like, you know, wow, God's commanding the Israelites to, to kill all these people. Well, that's because they were really wicked people. Okay, they were awful. All right, and God was cleansing the land of them. And <clears throat> the Israelites did that. They cleansed the land of them, but not completely. Okay, and if you fast forward a little bit to Manasseh, and, and I'm sorry with all these kings, you've got you to track with us here, but you can do it. I have full faith in you. Manasseh is Josiah's grandfather. Okay, so, so we're a couple clicks back in our generations here, but not that far. And Manasseh was really wicked. He brought back the worship of the Canaanites. Okay, which remember from a couple hundred years before that, the Israelites are supposed to drive these people and their wicked practices and the Baal worship and the baby sacrifice and all those horrible things. are supposed to get rid of that. <clears throat> but Manasseh had brought it back and God was angry at them and now he's saying that he's going to judge them because of that. And then... You have Josiah, who we, knew, who we said was good. So Josiah brings back the book of the law, rebuilds the temple in part, things like that. And, but then his sons are now back to these wicked practices. Okay? So we see this theme of <clears throat> bad kings, whether it's Manasseh or Jehoiachim or Jehoiakim or um, Jehoahaz. They're all wicked. And they're not upholding what God has, or how God has said to act. Okay, so uh, let me just look at verse 30 here as we wind down this particular section. Verse 30 of chapter 22. Speaking specifically of Jehoiachin here. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Now, Jehoiakim wasn't actually childless, or Jehoiachin, sorry, wasn't actually childish. I think I read he had seven children, okay? So it's not that he's childless, it's that he's not going to have an heir to the throne because he's the last king who's in the direct line from David, okay? So after Jeho- what happens is um, Jehoiachin is, <clears throat> right, so Hazkimachin, the last one, uh, well, Zedekiah is next, but... Um, he is the, the first part of the deportations that go to Babylon. Okay? It, it gets worse after him, but he's, he's hauled off to Babylon. Um, so it, it said, uh, or never mind. So he's hauled off. And actually, interesting side note here. Talk about 
um, you know, just the Bible as history. How many of you know, um, or do, you, do any of you know what cuneiform is? Or cuneiform? I always don't know how to pronounce it. Cuneiform. Andrew, what is that? Okay, very good. And where's Sumer? Okay, cool. And what is that in our story? Babylon. There you go. Okay, so um, so cuneiform is this ancient writing, okay, uh, done in Babylon or Sumer or modern day Iraq. Okay, this is how they how they wrote. And uh, what they do is they would have wet clay and these little styluses, okay, and they would do these little markings in this wet clay, and then it either dried or they baked it. I don't know, but it became. I was going to say it became paper, but it didn't become paper. But it's, you know, it's how they kept their records, okay? Uh, so it's their writing. And, and um, uh, historians and... Um, so what I'm looking for? Archaeologists! There you go. Thank you, class. Uh, they have found all sorts of cuneiform um, tablets from the time saying all sorts of things. Mostly boring. Most of them are glorified receipts, okay? Like the equivalent of someone like finding your sheet's gas receipt or something, Okay. <laughs> However, some of them are interesting, and here's one that's both boring and interesting, because they found one of these tablets, okay, that mentions Jehoiachin being taken to Babylon, and what it says about him is the ration he got of sesame oil. (laughs) Cool. But it proves that Jehoiachin was there in Babylon. Um, You know, it's not a a biblical record. It's, it's, It's totally outside that, but it matches great with this. So, anyways... Write this man down as childless. Um, he shall not succeed in his days. So, so the throne is now empty. Judah has, um, has been deposed. It's going to get worse, uh, you know, next under Zedekiah. And then it, it, the deportations are basically complete after that. <clears throat> okay, so if we pause there, zoom out. What do we got left? Uh, sometime not enough, as always. <laughs> um, we've got the need of a righteous king. Remember Psalm 9, and there's plenty of other places to look in addition to that, but we don't have it here in Jeremiah, okay? So, um, let's turn the page, literally, all right? Um, And let's look here at chapter 23. Um, Okay, so... It's going to start out a bit more the same. Chapter 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and, sh- and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for their people. You remember here, shepherds here, that's a euphemism or a term for the leaders. Okay? Specifically the kings. You could also argue the, the prophets and the priests as well, but these leaders of the people of God. <clears throat> um. Woe to them, for they have scattered my flock and driven them away. You have not attended to them. <clears throat> Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Can you imagine hearing that? Oh my goodness. Okay. You have not attended them. Behold, I will attend to you. Like, I'm going to deal with you. Um, <clears throat> that should put... Uh, yeah. Um, but... Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Verse 3 here of chapter 23. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. 
Okay, so the Lord is giving judgment here. He literally takes his people through terrible means using the Babylons. He's already used the Assyrians earlier on Israel. Um, now he's using the Babylons for Judah, Babylonians for Judah. Um, terrible suffering, okay, has taken place because of how they have acted, specifically the kings, generally the people. But the Lord always, always protects his people, okay, which is wonderful that we see here. Even as he says, I will deal with you, and it's, it's judgment, <clears throat> but even in the next phrase, he says, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them. Okay, the Lord is the actor here. He drives them to Babylon, but he says, I'm going to bring you back. All right? It's amazing. And, and this is a specific historic thing here, right? Like this happened in Babylon in the 600s. But the message, the theme is there for us. Okay? The Lord, even in judgment, even in when, when times are bad for, for our land, for you specifically... Okay, there's all sorts of application for this. The Lord always remembers his people and always remembers his promises and always will deal bountifully with us, even when the context might not look like that. Okay? I mean, think of the Babylonian who hears... The, um, the, one of God's people who hears this in the midst of the walk to Babylon. Okay, that, would be, that would be hard to hear. I would have, I would have a problem believing that. Okay, the Lord will gather me back from this. But the Lord always does that. Okay, so now, with 15 minutes left, we get to the best part. All right, this has all been a tee-up for this. We have this need for a righteous king. We don't have a righteous king. What shall we do? All right, so 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is my righteousness. Okay? Folks, we could talk the rest of the day about those two verses. This is wonderful. Okay? But... Let's jump in here with uh, at least a little bit. Um, so we did that. So we see in verse 5 that a divine king is coming. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Okay? This, I love... Um, the Old Testament can be very confusing at different times, right? Um, it's a huge chunk of text, and, and sometimes it's difficult to make sense of it. But I love what a storyteller that our, our God is, okay? If I was God, and I was writing the story of humanity, it would be, like, so boring. <laughs> I'd be like, mm, okay? But God is an amazing storyteller, Okay, and here in the Old Testament, this is over 500 years before Jesus shows up, he gives a little hint. He says that I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Okay, um, <clears throat> in, uh, uh, in the hymn, there's uh, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Okay, this is a hymn that a um, couple, one or two, what was it, Lydia, one or two years ago, uh, we were singing this hymn at my house 
just about every night just trying to learn one hymn, okay, so the kids can, like, hopefully really get this hymn. Um, and there's a line in that hymn that says, extol the branch of Jesse's rod, okay, and there's this line that uh, Lydia here, this is just, like, one they, like, stuck with, like, Jesse's rod, <laughs> okay, um, and so you, you see this here, God is going to send, he's using an image here of a, of a tree, a, a, a branch, you know, a, a growing thing that, but it's a, it's a, a metaphor for the king, okay, for, in this case, the, the, the line of David. So I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Um, <clears throat> Jesse's rod from the hymn, obviously Jesse being David's dad. So <clears throat> remember up at the very end of the previous chapter, we had said, um, or Jeremiah had said, write this man down as childless. He shall have no offspring to succeed him in sitting on the throne of David. So we have the, the, the throne is going to be empty here shortly. But he's saying, I will raise up this righteous branch. Okay? And that righteous branch, this king, is going to be Jesus. Okay? Christ, when he's going to come in, in over 500 years, um, uh, Jeremiah is... is calling it here through the Lord. And one thing I want to note um, about this, the image of Christ as king, okay, I feel like it's a very helpful image, but also can be kind of difficult for us. You know, I've heard it said that different people, and and this is probably true for at least one, perhaps many of you here, that the image of God as father, God the father, is a difficult one. If, if you didn't have a good godly father, if, if, if your father was, was not godly, then to hear of God as father is, is difficult for you. Okay? Now, I had, uh, by God's grace, a, a good father, so the idea of God as father is, is an easy connection for me. Um, but I've heard people say that, hey, that, that, that wasn't easy for me to comprehend because I didn't have that in my own experience. <clears throat> but this, I want to talk about the idea of Christ as king a righteous king, and that being a good thing, I feel like, I've thought about this before, and I've never heard anybody talk about it, I feel like that could be difficult for some of us as Americans. Okay, I mean, I teach American history. I teach the Revolution. Okay, like, you know, we got rid of wicked King George. Okay, and, we, you know, we don't need no stinking kings around here. Like, we don't do kings in America. Right? The people are in charge, whatever that means. All right? And so I've kind of thought about that in the past, just at different times. Like, never give it that much headspace, but like, you know, kings are good, you know? And I've, I've definitely, I've turned on this a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm not a monarchist yet, but like, yes, kings are good if they're righteous kings, okay? If they are doing what the Lord says, then yes, being ruled by a king is a wonderful thing. Don't shoot me. Um, <clears throat> and the, uh, so in our context as Americans, you know, depending on how in tune you are to American history and that kind of stuff, you might kind of bristle at the idea of a king. Um, and you see this also, sorry, I'm, I'm been on a bit of a kick of this lately. Um, uh, I'm Johnny Come Lately with Lord of the Rings. But you see this in Lord of the Rings with Aragorn, right? He is this good king that um, returns to, to rule in, in, in all good things and, and nothing bad. So <clears throat> just, I guess, kind of keep that in mind, that thought that there is such a thing as a righteous king who, will, uh, who rules well. And it's, it's not a bad thing if, if he's following the Lord. Okay, so next up, verse 6, we've got this, <clears throat> this name. So, the, so God has promised he's going to raise up a righteous branch, and this person shall reign as king. 
and he shall deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. So back to Psalm 9. This king's going to be good. God's going to raise him up. All right? God has driven out the evil kings, and he's going to raise up a new one. Well, t- tell me about this king, Jeremiah. What, give me something else. Okay? He just gives you a little hint here. And this is wonderful. Um, <clears throat> he says, verse 6, if I can find it here. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Okay? I need some help. So, someone go to Habakkuk chapter 2 for me. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Let me get a volunteer just to go there. I'll give you time. But volunteer to go to Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Where are you at? You can do it. Go for it. Then I need someone else to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. Alright, so we're going to go with Clyde in the back. And then lastly, Romans chapter 3 verse 21. Romans chapter 3 verse 21. John, thank you. Okay? So we're going to look at this idea of righteousness. Okay? Now, again, that was Habakkuk 2, 4, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, and Romans 3, 21. We'll get there in just a second. Question though, what did our Lord Jesus... What did he say about the people of his day, and by extension you, and your need for righteousness? Okay, he has a phrase. Okay, I'm sure something. It's from Matthew chapter five, I think. He has a phrase about the people he's talking to and their need for righteousness. What kind of righteousness do they need to have? And think about, I'll give you a hint, who is, who is Jesus usually going up against? In this case, he kind of sides with them. There it is. Thank you very much. Okay? He says, unless, I think this is in Matthew 5, he says, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Okay? So he's talking about the law and stuff, and obviously the Pharisees, if anything, are known for really strictly, you know, we know too strictly or kind of missing the focus, but these guys follow the law. They know the Old Testament. Okay? And Jesus says, uh, actually, before you go too hard on them, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you shall surely not enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay? Uh, my righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees. What do I do? Okay? <clears throat> so, we have this need for righteousness. Well, let's jump in here. Can we go with Habakkuk 2.4? Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Okay, the righteous shall live by his faith. Great, thank you very much. And then, where's 1 Corinthians? That was... Yes, Claude, go for it, nice and loud. Awesome, thank you. So he became to us righteousness. All right, let me uh, pull that one up. I can find it here. So Clyde just read, talking about Jesus, became to him Christ Jesus, who became to us. So Christ Jesus became to us what? Wisdom from God, righteousness. Christ Jesus became to us righteousness. 
Okay? Who's this king that is coming? <clears throat> he is, um, he will be called um, the righteous one. Okay? And then, John, can you read for us that Romans passage? Awesome. Thank you. So, <clears throat> Christ becomes our righteousness. And my time is definitely tearing here, so that's not good. Um, but, <clears throat> I want to leave you with this thought, folks. We need a righteous one. Okay? And there was an R.C. Sproul quote I heard one time. He said, he asked his students, in, I guess in seminary, um, are we saved by works? Okay, are we saved by works? And uh, I remember when I heard this a couple years ago, I had recently come to Reformed Faith, and I'm like, ha, no! Yeah, you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith, right? And it's a trick question, yeah. kind of, okay? You are saved by works, okay? But the works are not your own, okay? You're saved by Christ's works, okay? You're saved by Christ's righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah prophesied it to come, Okay? So you need a righteous one. And there's this one... <laughs> I was talking to Matt a couple weeks ago. And he said... Uh, I think he, we were talking about how you prep for the Lord's Day. And uh, he said, I think it was... There's a pastor. I think it was Kevin DeYoung. Who writes a sermon. <clears throat> and, and every week after he's done with his sermon, uh, on Saturday night, he goes and reads what Spurgeon said about it. <laughs> okay? And so I was like, oh, I should do that. So last night, I'm looking at what Spurgeon has to say about Jeremiah 23 here. And... Uh, I was going to read it for you guys, but I'm out of time. He, he reminds us, though, that, folks, we don't just need forgiven of our sins. We, we do, okay? But we don't just need that. You need righteousness. You need to actively obey, okay? Being forgiven of your sins kind of just gets you to, to base level. But to get to heaven, you need to be righteous, which you, you aren't. You need righteousness, okay? And that's what Jeremiah tells us this new king that's coming will be. The Lord is our righteousness, and that becomes Christ. So I have a lot more I want to flesh out with that, but my time tarries, and we are out of it. Okay? Um, so hopefully we can follow up more with that at another time. <clears throat> what I want to do, though, is go ahead and sing. Okay, we are going to sing in honor of Lydia here, and really in honor of Jesus. All hail the power of Jesus' name. That is number 296 in your hymnals. Let's sing about that stem of Jesse's rod, that righteous branch that was to come and did come. Philip's going to play for us. Thanks, Philip. <laughs>